this conversation today was really intriguing to me. And, yeah. and it's as so many times, you know, we just kind of jump into conversations and they go places we didn't expect. But I mean, uh, you brought this one up. But how many times do we think about what Satan knows yeah. and how he acted and kind of compare that to New Testament teachings about how he was acting in the life of Christ. It was really yeah. a fascinating discussion. Yeah, yeah. For the after show you're talking about where... Uh, yes, for the after show. Where I asked the question, was Satan happy when Christ died? Did he party? Did uh, did he throw a big mm. celebration? All the minions, um, they were like, had the disco ball going. They're like, yeah, we did it. Yeah. We accomplished what we wanted to. Or did they really? Yeah. Did they really rejoice when Jesus died or could there be another possibility? That is in the after show, which you will hear if you are an elite patron, um, which you can become over at patreon.com slash reason together. If you're not an elite patron, well, too bad. I'm sorry. (laughs) Sorry. You'll miss the conversation. Oh, wait, 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 wait. You can become one. Patreon. That's right. Yes. Yes. Patreon.com slash Reason Together. Sign up for an elite membership there to support the podcast, and you will get the free after-show bonus episodes that elite patrons get. After um, every episode. Yeah, yeah, that, after that, every That extra conversation content. That opportunity is yours over at Patreon.com slash Reason Together. All right, enjoy the show. You're listening to Reason Together, the podcast for Christians who think about stuff. I'm your host, Daniel Fox, here with my great friend, Thomas Belzamo. How are you, Tom? Doing good. I good, feel good. kind of messy, but... Uh, messy? <laughs> but because how, how are you? <laughs> I, not feeling quite so messy, but <laughs> maybe equally overwhelmed. No, <laughs> I don't know if you feel overwhelmed, but uh, I'm doing well. Doing well. Good. I know that... For our listeners, you're in the middle of uh, tearing out a room in your house, and so you've got... Yeah. And it's an old house, right? It well, is. How, when was it? When was it built? 1844. You've got me beat. You've got me beat. Our house was 1904, I think. Wow. Yeah. wow. 1844. There's some history there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we did the uh, living room first, and that's totally done now. Trimmed out, painted, mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. And in that room, we found an old tin-type photograph. Um, you know what I'll have to do? I'll send you a picture of it later. Um, yes. but we, we could maybe put a picture of that in the show notes because yes. it's a, a picture of a young girl, just like a portrait from somewhere in the 1800s, I presume. Wow. But and it's what, actually it... on a piece of tin. On a piece of tin. Yeah. Did you find it like in the wall? Well, as, uh, as we were sweeping up the debris, we found it in the floor, uh, on the floor. So I don't know where uh, it came yes. from. Yes. Whether it was ceiling, wall, because yeah. you ripped out the whole thing. And it's the old lath and plaster, right? It is, which is yes. a nightmare. I hate wow. that stuff. <laughs> um, but that's why I look messy and feel messy right now is because I just ran up <laughs> sure. here from from that to sit down and record. So, <clears throat> but, uh, but you're looking dapper today. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's... Uh, it's getting warm here, and now we can start wearing short sleeves. And uh, yeah. yeah, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm uh, doing pretty well. My uh, desk yeah. is pretty overloaded here, and my office is a yeah. mess. But um, anyway, we have uh, an, an intern driving in today who will be with oh. us for the summer. And so that's exciting. Cool. And uh, so, I, yeah, I need to get my office looking uh, like I actually know what I'm doing and um, <laughs> like I'm in control of things and, yeah. Um, yeah. before she arrives. But anyway, that will be that'll be good. Uh, are, are you, you're probably not much of a soda drinker. Not really. <clears throat> we're, we're not either. We don't really buy soda, uh, almost ever. But, uh, yesterday was Memorial Day 
And <laughs> I wanted to try, I wanted, actually, I wanted the boys to try this more than anything. <clears throat> Back when we lived in Pennsylvania years ago, uh, I had this soda one time that um, was a unique experience. In fact, their slogan is <laughs> distinctively different. <laughs> <laughs> that, you um, can't really go wrong with that <laughs> no I, I think what they meant for the slogan was like medicinally potent or something like that or like or, or, or admittedly weird or admittedly something. awful or something um <laughs> have you ever heard of of this stuff where is let's turn it the other way there we go moxie moxie N Man, the name sounds a little familiar, but no, I mean, I don't recall ever seeing that on a can. That's yeah. weird. in that picture. On Look there. at this That's old interesting. guy on the can. And yeah, that, that is that kind of like that was the, the logo back then? That was the logo. This uh, wow. was originally branded as Moxie uh, Nerve Food. <laughs> nerve Food? Nerve Food. Oh, my goodness. Because it was attempted I to be patented as like a, a medicinal thing because it's oh made from like some herbal extract or something like that now it's just a sugary soda <laughs> <laughs> but uh it's got a unique awful medicinal taste and the first time i had it years ago in pennsylvania i thought it was gross never had it again but i saw it in the store the other day when we were picking up some things for memorial day and i thought the boys need to try this <laughs> and yes. i want to see their faces <laughs> Oh, I got you some pop. Oh, yeah. yeah, soda. Yeah, so I got them some of this. And wouldn't you know, they turned out to like it. <laughs> Come on, people. So, <laughs> I was hoping they would think it was gross. But uh, apparently it, it, was, it had such an awful aftertaste that uh, uh, kind of a, it changed American nomenclature, at least <laughs> in that generation, that when you were considered to be tough or be a spirited person, they said you had moxie. Now, that's probably where I've heard it. I don't think mm -hmm. I've ever seen that on a store shelf. Yeah, that's where that, it comes from. That. Can you say, let, let's post that picture on our show notes, too, yeah. uh, of, like, of like that name and that logo right yeah. there and see if any others. Uh... Well, it's predominantly sold in Pennsylvania and New England. Ironically, okay. the okay. Two, two places that I've lived. It, it, just, it, just, it, it just didn't gain like a national market, huh? Mm -mm. Amazing. Nope. Hmm. Well, amid the whole COVID thing, maybe it should have been sort of advanced as a, you know, a healthier alternative. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Do something to the germs. But for nerve food, I mean, nerve people food. say, are you nervous? You need nerve food. That's right. You need more moxie. Feed your nerves. <laughs> staying at home. Anyway. Sorry. Yeah, sorry whatever that diversion. means, I'm not for sure. <laughs> okay. Um, I've been... Uh, I wanted to mention this. I've been taking a couple classes, you know, and one of them is a counseling class. And it's been fun uh, with the homework of it. And because we're given case studies to do um, mm -hmm. almost each week, and you're basically given like a little synopsis of, you know, somebody comes in and they say this and they say that. What would you do? How would you, you know, how would you answer this question? How would you counsel them? What, you know, and ask different questions. I just find that really neat um and and partly because and i i see the value of it for the preparation because how many times could you be caught flat-footed on a hundred different scenarios that are gonna that are gonna come up you know and if you've just if yeah. you've at least put some thought into 
wow, how, how would I approach a situation like that? Or what's the first question I'd ask? Or what could be some contributing factors? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, to just to, to think through that. Um, and I think about the idea of that class. Okay, this homework is meant to, uh, it, you know, it's preparation. It's preparation for a possible future encounter. And it just makes me think kind of in a broader area of life, mm-hmm. um, if we shouldn't in some way always be preparing for something. And then I thought, well, maybe we, we, we might say that preparing is simply growth. But even if we say that, to just ask our listeners, in what way are you growing? You know, is there mm-hmm. some way in your life that you're growing right now? It, 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 you know, and we've talked about this before. I mean, you know, just manly pursuits of just growing in any skill. But I mean, is it growing yeah. in your knowledge of the Lord, which you should be, or growing in your... Um, you know, in your preparedness for some future encounter with whatever, you know, I don't know. I, I can't, you know, press it and say, oh, this ought to be a, you know, uh, an absolute obligation to you. But I just think it's neat to think of that preparation towards something in the future. Yeah. And it's always good to stay learning and stay preparing. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's a good thing. Yeah. Anyway, before we uh, yeah, go get too deep into anything else, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons over at Patreon dot com slash reason together thank you for your generous support that helps keep things going around here uh we do appreciate it very much so thank you yes absolutely um and before we dive into any questions and i'm looking forward to this i've got a couple questions here and you might have some on your mind but before we do do we have any feedback um that we need to look into we do actually um let me pull it up here real quick this we've got a couple things here and This is from Joshua, and this is in regards to our um, our request to our listeners about um, what we should do for our hundredth episode. Ah, yeah, great. Okay. And he also sent feedback with the scripture reference that we were trying to to dig up last time. Thank you. And who is this? This I'm sorry, I missed the name. It's from Joshua. And um, he says, "Thank you for your consistent biblical and constructive discussion." It is always a blessing to hear you point us back to the scriptures to think through issues. <clears throat> For episode 100, it would be neat to see a behind the scenes of your recording process and maybe even <laughs> a video version on YouTube or something rather than just an audio just for that one episode. Well, I now just I really got to get my office cleaned up. <laughs> <laughs> he says I just listened to episode 92. And heard you mention the proverb regarding disappointment over unfulfilled purpose. I believe it yes. is Proverbs thirteen twelve. Hope deferred maketh the heart sick, but when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. Thank you again in Christ, Josh. Thank you. Proverbs thirteen twelve. Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. Yes. Yep. I okay. just think it's neat that we can put that out there to our listeners to help us dig something up and yes. then reply with stuff. That, yes. That's neat. Thank you, Joshua. Yes, thank you. And we'll keep that in mind for the 100th episode. Um, I've got an idea, too. I don't want to share it quite yet. Um, okay. That I, I, I'm just, I think it would be fun. But, yeah, um, yeah. Well, I don't want to make any promises yet about a video version <laughs> or behind the right. scenes yet. It is a neat True. idea, and it can be done. Uh, it'll take a little it, bit more work, but I think uh, we might be able to pull it off, but no promises it, yet. Yeah, right. It heightens your tech um, 
uh, obligations. <laughs> You're the one who handles all that. Yeah. If you don't know, Tom is um, is the smart one here, and I just show up <laughs> and talk. And uh, well, <laughs> at least he's smart in so many. I mean, you know, he's the handy guy, but he's also the tech guy here. And so I I show up and have a good time talking, and then he kind of takes it from there and gets it posted everywhere. And and uh, yeah, so. There you go. So if only you could have a job like I have. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, this is some more feedback. This is from Omar. I think uh, all of our listeners know Omar by now. He's uh, a frequent writer in to the podcast and a faithful supporter. Um, he says, um, and, okay, I'll just read it as is. Well, <laughs> You remember our last episode, we talked about iPads and electronic Bibles, digital Bibles, that sort of thing. Remember that? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, this is what he's replying about. <clears throat> he says, well, I don't know what's wrong with you guys, personally. I prefer to read the Bible on stone tablets as God gave it. <laughs> I know a lot of people have switched to scrolls and more recently to paper books, but those mediums are just too modifiable and temporary. For me, I want to be able to hold it in my hands and feel the words with my fingertips. <laughs> Besides, there have been some terrible things published in paper books. Why would I want to read my Bible on such a tainted medium? <laughs> and then he says, okay, all joking aside, I do recognize that for some people, especially the older generations, it is hard to adapt. And so to them, reading the Bible on a digital screen just doesn't feel right. It's, if that's the case for a person, then <clears throat> they should probably read from a paper Bible. But I don't think that person should cast doubts on someone who does feel comfortable using a digital Bible, as I do almost exclusively. That being said, there is a real risk of being distracted while reading the Bible on a smart device, but steps can be taken to prevent that problem as well. Side question, if I had an iPad dedicated only to reading and studying the Bible... Would that iPad be considered holy? <laughs> mm. Okay, he had to throw in the, the ringer yeah. right at the end there. Yeah, I thought uh, I thought the way he worded that uh, shouldn't cast doubt on him for liking, you know, the digital medium. And I think that's a good way of saying it. Is what we were bringing up was there certainly are considerations on both sides. Mm -hmm. As far as something to consider in your decision, but to, to go so far then uh, as to cast doubt on somebody, meaning sort of to impugn their spirituality, you know, mm -hmm. because they like a certain thing, that I would say would be going too far. Yeah. Well, I think his, uh, his humor was even making a point here, unless I'm reading into it. But when he said, I, I know a lot of people have sw switched to scrolls and more recently to paper books, but those mediums are just too modifiable and... Uh, temporary for me, <clears throat> or temporary. I think he's getting at the fact that uh, uh, technology does change. And a lot of times the things that a generation ago, we used to look at it as evil and, oh, we should never allow that. We should never let that become you know commonplace. <clears throat> Those things are now widely accepted. And there are new things that now we're going, oh, that's an awful right, new right. innovation. We shouldn't do it. It's just too new and too too edgy and too too carnal and worldly and all that. Um, kind of, kind of like how, uh, it seems that, that, you know, like the Amish, you know, years ago, there were things that they would have said, oh no, you shouldn't use that. That's worldly. But now they use that because there's more advanced technology than that. <laughs> and it's constantly moving. Yes. Right. Right. And point under point taken, you know, what he was saying about the rock, uh, <laughs> 
uh, carrying the tablets, stone tablets. <laughs> yeah. So. And then to, to note his question here uh, at the end, if I had an iPad dedicated only to reading and studying the Bible, would that iPad be considered holy? And uh, I guess based on the definition of the word holy, I'd have to say technically holy means set apart. Right, right. I mean, yeah, in that, in, that, uh, in that definition, you might even use the word sacred. It's set apart for a, yeah. um, a higher purpose. Yeah. And so, yeah, I wouldn't have a problem with that. It doesn't mean holy in the sense that somehow God has touched it and has magical powers right. or anything like that. It's simply <laughs> that it's set aside for a higher purpose, you know, uh, yeah. for an exclusive purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Holy iPad. <laughs> mm. You know, like how Holy Bible is inscribed on the front of Bibles. Ah, I see, yeah. Holy it could iPad. be uh, laser etched on the back of an iPad, Holy iPad. <laughs> I'd have to, I'd have to say it would be different than the, than the Holy iPad would certainly mean a, something different than Holy Bible. Yes, uh, that's inscribed on the front. <laughs> yes. The Bible is holy in a very uh, is different. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I was so. I was joking in case anyone yes. listening yes. wasn't for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so talking about the holy Bible thing, though, um, actually, as I think about it a little bit, maybe we could drill down on that a little bit. Uh, and I know this sounds weird. It's one of those discussions that we don't really see happening. <laughs> but asking about the holy iPad uh-huh. and isn't the idea that, you know, we don't divide secular and sacred, or do we, you know, go into the the idea of, um, okay, maybe I should back up. We talk about a holy iPad being, being strictly for Bible study. Uh-huh. Is everything, in some sense, in the life of a believer, holy, in that all of our life should be consistent with God's plan, so in, in essence, um, you know, anything we do should be an expression of our submission to God, which is in some sense worship, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. So that our life is holy, yeah. and what we, what we do with everything we have should, in essence, be holy. So then I wonder about the labeling of things as holy. Obviously, the Bible is holy in a very unique and a special and transcendent way, Um and so to say, like, like, would I say that, you know, where I have my devotions is my holy rocking chair or that I, you know, I drink out of my holy, holy coffee mug or, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. Um, I, that we, we would say, well, that, that kind of sounds like it's, you know, degrading things or something like that or, or elevating them too much. <laughs> sound, but, it makes it sound kind of silly when you say it that way. Yeah. But yeah, the, it does. The concept you're talking about, though, is not silly, of course. No, um, no. And, and, I, so that, and I do agree with it. I just, I'm afraid that not many Christians think of it that way. Well, and that's probably true, right? Yeah. Uh, that, that holy things are church things or God things, and then the rest of life is just life. Yeah. Um, and so it's interesting. I don't know. It's an interesting thought. I mean, I, know, I don't know if that's a joke that he sort of put out there. Is, could, I, could I put holy iPad on it? But on the other, it does really kind of bring about the question is that, should my iPad, in a sense, be holy whether I only use it for Bible study or not? You know, right. if I take into account the social media that I do on it and the yep. word processing and everything else, should that not, in some way, really still be reflective of a holy life? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, anyway. Well, yeah. and I think uh, the same thing would apply with our, our mentality about church. 
And <clears throat> I think there's a lot of folks that would say, oh, I'd never, I'd never behave like that at church. You know, I'd never say anything like that at church. Oh, I got to watch what I say at church. Oh, I got to watch what I wear at church. I got to watch what I do at church. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is just a building. Um, and the fact is, if it's, if it's not holy enough for church, is it really holy enough for anywhere else? Right. And then obviously there are, um, uh, and I don't know how to, I don't, I don't know what the word for it is, but obviously there are contexts in which you use different things. For instance, yeah. a guy goes off the build, you know, he's a construction worker. Well, he's not going to wear those clothes to church because he doesn't feel like that's appropriate, but <laughs> right. it doesn't mean that his, his clothes, that he's somehow not being godly at work. Yeah. Unless, you know what I mean? unless he's just running in from work. You know, yeah, right, right. Skidding <laughs> exactly. in just before the service starts. You know? That's right. And we say thank you for trying to make it and for coming yes. and, and, you know, to hear the preaching. So, um, but, but I, I also, I see what you're saying. You know, if, if we say, well, I, I wouldn't use that word in church. Well, maybe we shouldn't use that word, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, anyway. Interesting. Interesting. <clears throat> yeah. Thank you, Omar. Um, yes. Thanks, Omar, for the question. Any other feedback that we had? Uh, no feedback, but we do have some questions, unless you wanted oh, to start good. with something uh, of our own here. Yeah, let me just throw out one to you. Okay. Um, you know, politics is kind of, uh, you know, like like it or not, part of our life in a sense. And it's a, a large part of the news cycle. But, you know, thinking about being a politician uh, would be, it seems, a difficult thing. And I'm not just talking education and the whole, you know, le- law degree and political science and all that. But talking about when you get into the actual office and you're a legislator, um, that you're actually dealing with legislation, introducing and ratifying or denying uh, legislation, the the complexity of the things that you have to vote on at times. Um, and here's my question. Should a poli—well, uh, are, are there—I guess I was heading a different direction. I have a different question here. But the idea that sometimes he's going to have to— He's going to be faced with, do you vote for something that you kind of like, but you don't like? You know, and the, it's, a, I don't know if I'd call it a moral dilemma. The, the greater say, good argument? Yeah, I think that's it. To yeah. say, well, it defunds abortion, but it doesn't illegalize it, if I could put it that way. You know, it doesn't ban it. It just partially defunds it. Or, <clears throat> or it defunds abortion, but it adds to the welfare state. Yeah. Okay, so now he's got to say, well, I, I don't like this one, but I do like this one. And so do I strike down the bill because it doesn't go all the way, you know, or because it funds this thing? Or do I promote the bill because it's the direction that I want to go in the more important yeah. area? You know what I mean? <clears throat> yeah. Uh, he's well, faced like that. Yeah. I mean, is that your question is what do you do with the greater good argument? Is there ever a time where it's okay to to accept one thing for the greater good? Sure. I mean, that would be kind of, yeah, just your thoughts on that as far as... Um, I, I mean, in my mind, I'm just saying, it's, is, it, is it really that simple to go, no, unless it's all righteous and good and holy, you don't vote for it, brother. You, you'll be voting yeah. no on everything, well, it seems like. No, not really, but I mean... I think there are many who would call that pragmatism, um, in, in a way, yeah. or at least somewhat pragmatic. Right. And, and right. you and I have talked about pragmatism before, and there's a whole host of ways in which pragmatism is bad. Um, sure. <laughs> you know, the ends do not always justify the means. Right. Um, but I would have to say, you know, and from my limited perspective, perspective as not being a politician, I would have to say that in that particular context, the only way to not have to do something sometimes for the greater good is to have a complete dictatorship where you always get everything you want. 
Yeah, right. But when we're dealing with a country of, you know, a mixed bag of viewpoints, um, right. you're never going to get a bill likely that would come across your desk that has everything in it that you want and doesn't exclude all of the things you want excluded. Yeah. So in, in that case, I'd have to say, you know, maybe the greater good argument is, is something to be considered in that setting. I, I think so, too. I think it has to be remembered that America is not the church. Yeah. So we can say in a church, we're obviously governed by the scriptures, and, and those, you know, those determine uh, our, our decisions and which way we go in, in you know, in certain cases. But, uh, I mean, obviously in all cases, but I'm saying in certain t- it speaks specifically to certain issues and gives principles and guidance and wisdom for others. But when you're talking about... Um, politics, you're talking about a, a secular body of, of believers and unbelievers, and you're talking about um, a, a social um, a social organization here. We're not talking about an ecclesiastical organization. We're talking about a social organization. And so it's how do I, how do I work with fellow human beings to accomplish what I want for our society and yeah. for our government, knowing that a a majority of them are unsaved people. Yeah. You know? And anyway, that's, I guess it leads to big questions. Um, yeah. Maybe, it, maybe it's too big of a question right now. What, if I could back up what <laughs> I, st- I had two similar questions and what my actual question in front of me here is, and it, it uh, may be simpler. Should a politician vote his personal conscience or vote as a representative of his constituency? Hmm. Should a politician vote his personal conscience or vote as a representative of his constituency? Wow, that's a that's a difficult question because um, if a if a guy has a, a a conscience that he's really strong about not violating his conscience, mm-hmm. you have to wonder how can he stay in that environment for long. <laughs> you know what I in mean? In the whole political environment. Yeah, because at some yeah. point you're going to have to represent the people who elected you to represent them. And you're, it's kind of your job to represent them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. I mean, that's so, sort of that you're, you're our representative. Yeah. yeah I, I wonder, um, I, I know we have a... a, a a listener, I don't know if he listens to every episode, who was at one time a um, a state representative. I'd be curious if he's listening to this, if he would be willing to, to email us and weigh in uh, on yeah. that. And I wonder what his thought would be about what I'm about to say here, because my answer to the question, to me, what would, what would solve that is uh, you're, you run, uh, if you will, you run on your character. You run on your platform right. and on your principles, and you say, I am this kind of guy, and if you elect me... In other words, it's not, um, I'm just like this neutral guy. Yeah. I don't tell him who I am, and, but I'll represent whatever you say. Right. No, it's it's if if I'm the guy you want, if you, can, if you feel like you resonate with the convictions that I have, then I'm going to vote this way when I get there, so, so you vote for me. Yeah, theoretically, you know I, mean? I think, you know, I, idealistically, maybe, you know, if you if, if people vote for you I because mean, they like your character and your viewpoints, um, you would ideally yeah. not have a conflict when right. with representing them. But when are you going to find a circumstance where your views are all the right. same as your constituency's views? 
all of them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it, in theory, right, or, that should work. But I don't know that in practice, it always does work out that way. It's interesting. Yeah. So even even if, if on a large number you do, say, say 80, 90 percent of the bills, yeah, they're happy with what you're doing. But all of a sudden one comes up and you feel like, I, I think I should fall left and and you start getting you know a flood of phone calls that goes no way do we want to do that you know we want you to go to the right you know or whatever um how do you handle that yeah that's interesting yeah i i honestly don't have a clear answer for that myself uh, having having never been in that I, I i mean i guess in some instances i could feel comfortable you know weighing in on what i think i might do but i just don't know what i would do having yeah, not been yeah. in that situation before. <laughs> so, well, maybe to throw that out to our listeners too, um, as far as once we've kind of addressed that question and kind of gotten close to an answer, then what scriptures do we have to consider? Yeah. Uh, uh understanding, okay, this is in, if you will, a public secular vocation. However, I am a Christian with, you know, with, with biblical principles yeah. in that public secular position. How do those two match in my, uh, fulfillment of that office. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And and what scriptures need to need to come to bear there. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be uh be good to hear from our listeners on that. Okay. All right. All right, you had a, a question or two from Yeah, this one is uh actually um there's a series of questions here and it may take up the rest of the episode cuz but they're all related. <laughs> um okay. Do Whoa. we do all we right. want to jump into that or or do, I didn't get a chance to put it in Trello yet, so you haven't seen these. So you're cold completely on Yeah, that's right. So okay, okay. You want to try that? Uh, we've got 15, 20 minutes. Let's go okay. for it. All right. This is from, actually, my, my lovely wife. Um, she has some Wonderful. questions here that she has submitted. And it relates to a book that she was reading um, called Three from Galilee, The Young Man from Nazareth by Marjorie Holmes. And what this is, it's a biblical historical fiction, okay? You're familiar with, okay. like, biblical historical fiction. Um, yes. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, where they take a side story of a character in the Bible, maybe a guy like Barabbas, okay? Right, exactly. And they create a whole narrative about him that isn't revealed mm -hmm. to us historically. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> well, this writer, this author did that same thing, but with the, the silent years of the life of Jesus on earth. <laughs> before his ministry uh and and not not necessarily covering the the one account that we have of his youth when he was approximately 12, 12. I believe it was mm -hmm. um but she she covers this the silent portion of Jesus life and it it raised a lot of questions overall I don't think my wife would recommend the book I haven't read it personally but um I don't think she would recommend the book uh after reading mm -hmm. it um, mm -hmm. But she uh, she asked the question: At what age did Jesus know that he was the Messiah? Would Mary and <laughs> Joseph have revealed it to him, or would God have? Um, and uh, I think the reason she's asking that is because in the story that this woman wrote, uh, she has Mary and Joseph revealing to Jesus that he is the Messiah. <laughs> Which I suppose is within the realm of possibility, but but what are your thoughts uh, on that that question? Well, that particular question, um, okay. My immediate response to that, my visceral response, <laughs> is visceral. What does visceral mean? That, like gut like from gut response. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, referring my gut to response. your part of your anatomy known as the viscera, which surrounds your internal organs. 
All right. Thank you. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm looking for. Um, my uh, my visceral response to that is absolutely not that his parents uh, reveal that to him. He was he was not he was not operating off of a call that was told him by his parents. He he knew who he was. Okay. No doubt. Yeah. Um, in my in my mind. Okay. Can you elaborate? Um, well, to to me, it number one, it changes the whole picture to go. Um, you know, hey, by the way, you're the Messiah. Oh, really? Oh, wow. I should probably start acting like you know, very Messiah-ish. You know, I have a, I have a calling to fulfill as a Messiah. Um, okay. You know, to say, oh, 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 I'm the Messiah. Really? Okay. No, I just don't see that happening. To me, I just mm-hmm. that's unreasonable. Plus, when you look at when he's 12 years old and he says. Um, know you not that I should be about my father's business? Yeah. It's like he kind of knew this. Like this was, what, don't yeah. you guys know that this is what I'm supposed to be doing? Yeah. It's like more they were behind uh, in the timeline saying, you know, if they had revealed it to yeah. him, it was obviously prior to 12, and, and they hadn't they hadn't grasped what his what his right. responsibilities were. So I don't really think But the, the nature yeah. of the question, though, is is perhaps before he was 12. You know, 12, you know, a kid is fairly sentient, <laughs> right? You know, sure. but at a certain point in his youth, you know, two, three, four, five, six years old, would do you think they would have maybe told him about the nature of his miraculous birth um, and the trip to to Bethlehem and uh, the wise men and the star and all of these things? Do you think they would have would have told him that? Um, I have to question whether there ever was a time when Jesus did not know who he was. And I know that sounds really weird. You're like, how could a three-month-old know who he is? But you're talking about the God-man, you know. Um, was there ever a time that Jesus didn't know who he was? I don't think so. Okay, that's that's fascinating. Um, so so then what it is, what is it exactly that, that Jesus would have learned? Would, would he have learned things? growing up or did he know everything um well as as we said before he didn't absolutely know absolutely everything but um you know because when he he got older he said no man knoweth the day nor the hour except my father right which is in heaven so even even in his adulthood he didn't technically know everything however um as far as did he always know, he always knew. Uh, again, I would have to lean that way, yes. Um, okay. Now, could you go back and ask that question again, because I feel like I'm missing something. Well, the question I got this. is, at what age did Jesus know he was the Messiah? Would Mary and Joseph have revealed it to him, or would God have? Um, but, um, I, I mean, I'm kind of getting maybe at the deeper question in that, and that is, did Jesus learn things? And... And, and I'm thinking of like Luke chapter two, verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Mm-hmm. Um, seems to indicate there was a way in which he became wise, right? I mean, unless I'm reading that wrong, he increased in wisdom. Um, there would have been some things that in his incarnation, at least according to this verse, uh, he would learn things. I mean... Did he know how to speak from the time he was born? I mean, he was was he like a two week old having full length conversations with his parents? I mean, he had to learn to speak, theoretically, right? Uh, right, right. I don't know that I would. 
Yeah, I see what you mean as far as learning, uh, as far as actual mobile ability or like uh, human ability. Yeah. Um, and I don't necessarily have, a, he had to learn how to walk. I mean, he didn't, you know, get up, you know, out of the manger and start walking around. Yeah. Do you think um, he would have had to have learned math? Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Um, I don't know. I, again, I would, I would, if I had to, if I had to fall one way or the other, I'd say no. When it says he increased in wisdom, you know, what, what is wisdom? I guess that would be the big question. And does wisdom imply learning something or or the application of something already known? Um, and if he increased in wisdom, I could, and I'm just throwing this out there as maybe a defense a little bit of what I'm saying, um, is that obviously as you, the more that you are exposed to in life, the more encounters and the more situations you have to apply apply your knowledge to. Yeah. And so you naturally, if you make the right decision in every situation you are growing in wisdom it would seem like in a sense that you're growing in your application in your right application of knowledge does that make sense yeah i'm not sure i agree though i would okay. i would think what you're saying is more like you're you're growing in experiences right yes mm-hmm. but i don't that's, know that that could be equivocated with growing in wisdom um cuz i mean here let, let's go even deeper into the question um, if, if we're, if we're saying that Jesus would have had to learn things as a child, maybe be it math or language, what have you, then what we're saying is that there would have been some limitations to him. I mean, that's, that's mm-hmm. basically what we're saying. If, if we were to say that Jesus had to learn things. Right. So and I guess that's where the rub is. Yeah. Yeah. But that would mean there was a limitation to his omniscience. That's what we'd be saying. So mm-hmm. by nature of his incarnation, being physical flesh, he's essentially a one place at a time, correct? Correct, yes. Mm-hmm. Is that not a limitation to his omnipresence? At, sure. at least the second person of the Godhead here. <laughs> right, right, yes. And, yeah, and I realize... Good, good clarification, yeah, but yes. I realize that's difficult to understand. We don't get it either, That you know... The, the 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 nature of the trinity is very difficult i would say impossible to fully grasp with our finite minds but if there could be a limitation to his omnipresence why could there not also be a limitation to his omniscience in which he had to learn things um Maybe could we clarify he had to learn non-moral things? He had to learn non-moral things. For instance, you know, to learn how to do algebraic equations isn't really a moral thing. He didn't have to learn that adultery was wrong. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair thing. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Okay. Um, I think... That I wouldn't, I I couldn't, I don't think I'd have a a problem with that, as, as we just stated it there, that he had to learn math or he had to learn how to sweep a floor yeah and see i think the issue that a lot of folks have with the thought that there were limitations to jesus is um is is it they would they would argue well you're making him less than deity And, and i don't think that's the case because i think in in the case of jesus incarnation he was a a human being a man 
right, the God-man, completely submitted to the will of the Father. There was nothing he ever did that was outside the will of God the Father. And I believe personally that if there were limitations to the non-moral or amoral, we might say, knowledge of Jesus on earth, I believe that he learned things as it was the will of the Father for him to learn them. Okay. You know what I mean? Um, Yes. Almost as if uh, everything he learned, it was at the behest, at the will of the Father, because he was completely submitted to the will of the Father in everything. Uh, And it's not that he didn't have his attributes of omniscience and omnipotence and Mm -hmm. omnipresence, but I believe he voluntarily placed them under the will of the Father and said, I will not use these without you giving me your will to do them. And yet, can I, can I insert here, and I think you're wording it well, and what we were saying a minute ago, learning non-moral things, is that while he might have set, as, might have set aside his omniscience, yet he never, was, uh, he, he, he never could be called not pure. He always Correct. was by nature who he was, morally speaking. Correct. He was pure. He was righteous. Yes. He was holy. He always was that. Yeah. But he just, his factual knowledge of things could have been submitted to the will of the Father. That's a good way to put it. And, and I guess, I guess what, I'm, what I'm ultimately saying is voluntarily setting aside the use of, an, of, of, um, of a tool for a moment does not make the man no longer a craftsman. Um, <laughs> and, and, and in the case of Jesus, voluntarily laying aside the use of some of his attributes, unless the Father explicitly permitted him to use them does not make him less than God. Right. Because I mean, there was an instance in which, uh, one of the disciples, I think it was either, it was a Philip or Nathaniel. He saw him sitting under the fig tree. Right. Um, mm-hmm. but yet he wasn't physically present there. And I think that's an instance in which, uh, it was the will of the father for Jesus to be cognizant of that man sitting under the fig tree. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but every mm-hmm. everything he did was completely submitted to the will of the Father. Interesting. Now, earlier, I, I, I wasn't totally tracking with you because I'm looking up a couple verses here. And so I, I am, follow- I mean, generally what what you've been saying, I like that. Um, and, and the way you phrase that, that's I think that's a great, great position. And a couple verses to bring into play there uh, would be, Philippians 2.8, where it says, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient, or the idea of submissive, unto death. Um, but even uh, more than that, let's see, I had... Uh, Hebrews 5.8. Yep, Hebrews 5.8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Not that he ever was disobedient, uh, or that you know he, he wasn't pure, didn't know how to be obedient. So obviously there's a way to explain that text, but it's something you have to look at there that he uses the concept of having learned something. Well, personally, if I could, if I could give my view on that verse, at least what, yeah, I, please. what I think it's indicating is um, in order for Jesus Christ to uh, fulfill the will of the Father and what he came here to do, there were essentially qualifications you know what I mean? Um, he had to verify sure. a righteous life. Okay. He had to live here in flesh perfectly, right? Mm-hmm. Without doing so and without verifying such, he would essentially not be qualified 
Um, You're saying qualified to be the sacrifice? Yes. Yes. Okay. Now, of course, I don't think there ever would have been another option other than him being qualified. <laughs> okay. Um, but that was <laughs> right. the same exact reason for his temptation in the wilderness. Okay. Is that it verified it, who he it was? It verified who he was. So okay. when it says that he learned obedience by the things which he suffered, um, I think what it's driving at there is he demonstrated his absolute credibility and qualifications to to do what he came here to do. Does that make sense? Um, your statement makes sense. I'm, I'm trying to correlate it back to the text here. Yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. So to learn obedience means demonstrating credibility? Is that what I think saying? in that instance it does because um, there's yeah. another verse also in Hebrews that seems to, to give a fuller understanding of the same concept. Uh, Hebrews 2.10, For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Mm-hmm. The idea of perfect there not being completed. Good. Yeah, not a perfect, like it's in a moral perfection, like he wasn't there yet and now he was. Right. And it's not that right. he was ever incomplete or not matured or not uh, qualified, but that in his coming here to bring many sons to glory and through the things that he suffered, he definitively proved it, that he was complete and perfect. Yes, the verification in the eyes of people was, was, was perfected. Right. Yeah, good, good thought. Good thought, that's neat. Now, is there... More are are there more questions uh, here on follow up with that? Yes, yes, there are more. Okay. <laughs> um, let me see. I'm scrolling through them here. There's some of them I think we'll kind of pass on because they're uh, they're some sort of related. Um, okay. Um, <clears throat> would Jesus have had friends growing up? Would he have uh, run around the neighborhood playing with other children? Or would he have been constantly studying, meditating, and praying? Oh, no, I absolutely who would have had friends. You know, the idea of godliness would be to interact, you know, would be to handle every interaction with people in the exact way God would want you to, to God would want you to. And he wants you to interact with people. He right. wants you to influence people. He wants you to be a reflection of himself and, 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 and so that involves your interaction with people and influencing them toward godliness. Yeah. So he would have always had in, he would have had interaction with people, and it always would have been appropriate and right sure. and beneficial to them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And and I think the reason why uh, she asks that is because I think in the book it likely portrayed him uh, playing in the neighborhood with other kids. Sure. Um, <clears throat> which I, I certainly think he, he would have done. Um, overall, I think. Uh, one of the criticisms criticisms my wife had of the book was that it uh, it takes the humanity of Jesus to an extreme and and that may sound weird because I mean yes he was fully human <laughs> but it almost walks the line into the human nature the sin nature uh, I should say mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it gets very close um, and sometimes crosses over the line I think in in, in not portraying him right one of the things I told my wife after she mentioned something else to me about Christ's baptism in the book and everything, it almost sounds like the author was a modalist. Um, uh, yeah, the idea that Jesus was was not fully deity until his baptism, that he essentially changed modes, um, which is, of course, not not true, and, and we don't have time to really go over all of that, But uh, but that was another criticism of the book. 
Wow, it's interesting. You know, it's important for people to realize just because, just like somebody might say, oh, sure, I believe in God. Oh, yeah, I believe Jesus saves. That doesn't mean they're on the same page or even mean the same thing that you do <laughs> right. or that, that their doctrine is right. Well, when you see a book and it says, oh, this book talks about Jesus, it's obviously a Christian book. Uh. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so like you look at a book like The Shack. Well, The Shack talks about God and his healing mm. and restoration. Please help us. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Just because it's talking about Jesus or a God or Christianity doesn't mean it portrays it correctly or that it's truth. Right. And um, so it's good to keep in mind as you read and, and, and read uh, critically yeah. like that. Yeah, you know? absolutely. That's good. I, I wondered if maybe you were going to go to the, uh, you know, ask a question about his miracles, like as a child, because there seemed like there was a movie that came out, you know, of Jesus, and in his childhood, he probably picks up this dead bird, and then, flu, 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 it flies out of his hand, you know, and oh, because he, he was performing these miracles yeah. for his friends, you know. No, I wasn't going to ask that, but that that is a good question, though. Yeah, so what do you think about that? You think he performed a miracle for his friends growing up somehow? No, I mean, like I doubt it. You know, I... he never, like, turned, he never turned, like you know, a piece of rye toast into a Pop-Tart or something no. for breakfast or anything like no, that? No, <laughs> I, I doubt it. I believe his first miracle, uh, which the first recorded miracle, which I think was when he turned the water into wine at the, at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. Um, I agree. That, I believe, was the first miracle he did uh, on earth, apart from, from being born of a virgin. <laughs> um, <laughs> um <laughs> Though, anyway, I was going to get pedantic about that for a second, but I'll skip it. Um, okay. <laughs> the uh, no, I think that was his first miracle because that was after the the official beginning of his public ministry, um, which I believe started at his baptism, in which mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit came upon him like a dove there, and the Father spoke from heaven, "This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased." I believe that's the official start to his ministry. I don't think Jesus would have done a miracle prior to the blessings of that moment. Okay. Um, also, I see John chapter 2 and verse 11, to which you're referring as far as the uh, Cana experience. It says, this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee. Ah. If that's the beginning of his miracles, and there weren't any prior to that, so <laughs> you know, unless somebody wants to, you know, over over contextualize yeah. that, maybe or your answer was quicker. Be- beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Short answer, no, um, no. Okay, so uh, good. That was uh, that was fun, and believe it or not, our time is gone and even a little over. So uh, thank you for listening in today, and I uh, hope it's been uh, an enjoyable challenge. Got your mind. Uh, turning a little bit yeah. towards different things. And, and we need your feedback. Uh, we, we threw out some, some questions here in the early part of the podcast, um, yeah. especially where, where you have some thoughts, you know, throw them our way. And any of this, the, these things, too, about the humanity of Jesus, when he knew what he knew, and, uh, and those things. Uh, feel free to contact us. That's reasontogetherpodcast at gmail.com. And as we close, I want again, once again want to thank our patrons over at patreon.com slash reason together. Yes, and if you have any feedback about our 100th episode, which is coming up in uh, oh, a few weeks uh, now, um, if you have any ideas about what we should do for our 100th episode, be like Joshua and send us an email uh, and let us know what you think we should do. Do you like the behind-the-scenes idea? Do you like the video episode idea? Uh, if so, let us know or, or come up with something totally different. So we'd love to hear it. Anyway, we are encouraging balance, developing perspective, and connecting faith to practice. This is Reason Together. <laughs>